Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. Today, we're looking at a question I know many leaders and comms advisors grapple with, given the increasing demands on their time to communicate across multiple channels. In fact, just last week, I had a chat with an advisor in a major bank who, having spent a lot of time focusing on the internal world of enterprise social networks, was wondering if that same effort should be extended to her leader's LinkedIn profile. And if so, what would the benefits be and how could she do it? So this is one of the questions for leaders and advisors in our increasingly digital world. Internal or external social media? Where should leaders focus their efforts? Does one give you more bang for your buck? And what does the best strategy look like for leaders who are keen to protect and enhance their digital reputation? Now, these are big questions, but fortunately, I've roped in an expert, so I simply have to ask the questions, not answer them. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome the co-founder and CEO of Swoop Analytics, Kai Care. And for those who, who don't know Swoop, it's a leading enterprise collaboration platform that uses data from tools like Microsoft 365 and, and Microsoft Teams, Yammer, Workplace, to help organizations around the globe collaborate better. And as such, Kai knows a fair bit about what makes leaders thrive and succeed online. So thank you so much for joining your digital reputation, Kai. Thanks for having me, Rog. That's an absolute pleasure. And I love our conversations as I feel like I always come away smarter and certainly with a few more laughs under the belt. So I'm looking forward to this one and very keen to see where we land on this topic that I do know divides some teams. Now, I know you, know, I know you well and I know the, the world of Swoop and what you represent. So you're very much flying the internal social flag today, if I can call it that. So I'm happy to represent the dark side of external social just <laughs> to make sure we cover both sides. But even with that perspective, I'm interested to know, Kai, where, where do you think leaders should be investing their time and effort internal or external social? Well, obviously, they have to drop all external and, oh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's lovely to be here with you. And also, it's not often, is it, uh, that we get to compare perspectives mm. because it is sometimes seen as that, is it one or the other? And, and I know it's a leading question for, because the answer is, of course, it has to be both. Uh, they, we live in a world, and, and I've, I've listened to your other, um, the other um, guests you've had on the, on the other episodes, uh, and there are some real good insights and, and all the things around, well, what, what are your employees thinking? What are your stakeholders thinking? Being able to have, that, have, have your, uh, your brand and your presence there because people are going to talk about you anyway, so you might as well help drive the conversation. And that applies internally just as, as, just as much as it does externally. So the answer is definitely both. And out of interest, do you think that, I know you do a lot of work with organisations around, you know, this new normal that we're adjusting to and, and what's happening with hybrid work. How, how have things potentially changed as a result of COVID in response to that question? How much extra effort do people, leaders in particular, need to be putting into, as you say, both internal and external? So it's, it's interesting. It's, it's obvious, isn't it? The, the, the world has changed. Um, I guess um, I'm fortunate that I get to travel a bit um, 
and I want to see customers and partners. Uh, and before the pandemic, we knew that you know the office was the was the place where a lot of culture was being built. It was a place where leaders had the opportunity to engage with staff. But even before the pandemic, if you wanted to communicate at scale, it had to be done digitally. And now that people are slowly starting to return to work, um, I think we're seeing the same thing because it's not going to be a return to what it was before. Um, just here earlier this week, I spent a couple of days um, in the uh, in the capital of, of Victoria. For those that are outside of Australia, you know, Victoria is one of the states, and, and Melbourne is the I guess the capital of, of Victoria, and it is as quiet in Melbourne as it is in Sydney. And it's obvious the foot traffic on the streets and then the offices is nothing like what it was before. So what do you do if you are an executive who is used to be doing you know, uh, face-to-face town halls, bringing people together, having uh, frequent contact, the, you know, the managing by walking around? Well, how do you do that when you walk around and there's no one there? Or if they're only there two days a week? So this whole thing about how do we how do we how do we communicate how do we keep our people engaged if we can't rely on face to face to the extent with the, that we did before and I think that's where the internal social channels uh, are now even more important than they were before the pandemic because we I don't think we'll ever return to what we had bef- uh, before the pandemic so we have to find a way of communicating at scale internally as well as externally. How much, out of interest, how much pressure do you think that is put on the, not just the obligation or the expectation on leaders to communicate, but specifically around their skill set? As you say, I mean, I love the picture you're painting there around if I'm in two days a week and those two days don't happen to um, to overlap with a key leader or a key figure, whoever it might be, then I am not, not getting any face time, as you say. So, you're therefore almost forced into this environment, aren't you? And and therefore, you know, what sort of uh, extra pressure does that put on not just leaders, but on the communication or reputation advisors that are helping them to adjust and adapt and maintain profile relevance connection with their workforces at this time? Well, it's it's changing the dynamics, isn't it? Um, I, I I I chatted to um, to the local. MD of a global pharmaceutical a couple of weeks ago. And he was saying that um, during the pandemic, they did what actually most organizations have done. And I think what I've heard people love, they had very frequent interactions. Um, They were talking about, you know, opening, closing the offices, when it would be safe to return. They really dialed up the internal uh, communication. And of course, since everyone were working from home, it had to be done digitally. And people love that frequent interaction. Um, as we are starting to get back to work, uh, this particular executive had been told by staff, we don't see you as much as we did during the pandemic. And he went, what? Like, I'm, I'm in the office. Like, I, I'm here. And, and I'm traveling. I'm meeting customers. I'm in team meetings. You know, what do you mean you don't see me as much as you did before? I mean, before I was remote. So can you see how the perception by people is that we saw you more before because they were in teams meetings, they were in, in you know streaming live halls, and you know they had Q and As and and all the stuff where a much broader proportion of people had the ability to interact with someone. 
So you really got to think about, we, we, all, we all know that face-to-face interactions is where you can generate the highest level of trust. There's nothing like the human interaction face-to-face to establish trust, um, safety, um, and, and authenticity. You can just see it in people's body language. But the problem, of course, is that we can't do that. Uh, it doesn't scale. You're doing it face-to-face. So if you if you if you got the choice between two things, you know, do I do I do one thing in the office, maybe one or two, I don't know, maybe three team meetings a week where I see three or four or even five different teams, or do I see the whole company, you know, twice a week, but I do it virtually, and I make myself available for five or ten minutes or half an hour a week to answer questions in you know in, in these in more public internally social platforms. And I think that this will force the internal comms advisors to change their perspective on on this balance between face-to-face and then doing it virtually or digitally online. And I think that's the challenge for them is also how do we, in the past, maybe, you know, pre-recorded videos were, you know, I guess a little bit more sort of... um, they're hard to do, aren't they? And, and very produced and you know, high quality. And I think we need to let, let, let that go for more authentic, more quick, you know, quick and fast, shorter, more authentic and transparent communication. So it feels like that I'm sitting here with you. And we've seen lots of executive examples for this when during the pandemic, we, they were sitting in the living room, you know, there were, might be a cat or a dog walking past, but you've got a sense that this is a real person with, with a real life and I'm connecting with, with you as a person. Whereas if we're having comms that is too produced, too manufactured, too polished, uh, I get a sense that I'm just watching TV and am I now really connecting emotionally with 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 my leaders, uh, so I think it it, it changes. It takes um, it's a different way of thinking about what do we really want from these internal comms now that people are at home, um, and we have to think about different ways of communicating it with them at scale. I, I agree with that, and I think it's it's interesting. It's almost like we're living in this this age of authenticity, and and contrary to what I think, you know, uh, the general perception might be digital is actually a way to drive that to drive authenticity and as you said many times already to scale it which is really Mm. important Uh, i'm keen to i want to pick your brain around what best practice looks like in a moment but i am keen to drill a little bit into that internal world that you know so well (laughs) um and and i'd be keen to know from a, a best practice perspective focused on that internal social world what stands out as leadership best practice for platforms like Yammer, Workplace, or Teams? You know, what what impact can really good, effective leaders have based on the analysis that you do at Swoop? So um, the organisation. So we do um, some very large benchmarking studies, and 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 what we do, we have um, because I guess our our analytics are, are founded in in network and relationship science. There's a, there's a set of different metrics you would apply to assessing how strong communication patterns are within an organization. So, for instance, just to give an example, it's not just about how, how often or how much you post, but do we have two-way interactions? So do we talk to each other? That's an, an example of, of a network, that's a relationship metric, rather than just an activity or, or volume count, if you like. 
So when we do the benchmarking and we look at these different relationship network metrics, there's some organizations that perform very well. Now, all the data we collect uh, is, uh, is pretty much anonymous, but we can go back to the organizations and say, hey, we found an interesting pattern. Can you tell us like, who's actually behind this? Um, so we publish this in annual benchmarking reports, and that allows us to interview or put the spotlight on the best-performing organizations globally. And uh, so there's certain patterns that are emerging around how you interact, the style of communities you're building. And uh, oftentimes we see that this is a whole thing about uh, talking about having two-way relationships, for instance. That requires people having a conversation. So organizations that do this really well are very good at starting conversations. So they think about these platforms not as a megaphone, but more as a hearing aid. And I'm stealing, I've, I've stolen this uh, hearing aid megaphone um, analogies from, uh, from one of my colleagues, um, industry colleagues, uh, Carrie Basham Young in the US, that I, she was the first one I heard it from. And I love that. It gives you that picture in your mind about not thinking about just uh, telling, but it's about talking. So best practice, if we've been focused on attention on senior leaders, what's the best way that we can have conversation? Well, it starts with a question. So this whole episode we're doing here today, it's driven by you asking really good questions. And that leads to a conversation between you and I. And uh, we see examples of organizations where the leadership is strategically wanting to have a certain set of conversations with their staff about things that matter to them. And, and I think if you are very smart, you can, you, can, you, can, you can position these questions as I said, in areas that are important to you, whether they're around customer intimacy, whether they're around uh, quality or improvement, it's getting competitive intelligence about you know, what are others pro for product development and so forth. Lots of ideas. Or tackling the big questions that has been around the pandemic. And as we all know, I don't think I say, I say either too much or too little, but there's been lots of conversations about return to work, about safety, about masks, about vaccines, about all sorts of things. Um, and it's important to have those conversations um, and the comms advisors play a very important role in ensuring those conversations are moderated and also that the executive's time are, are, uh, is being looked after because it's, there's, of course, as if you are seeing a leader, there's, there can be the, this uh, perceived risk and say, well, I haven't got time. You know, like I've got, got 50,000 employees. You know, I can't sit here and respond to questions all day. And it's, so it's setting the expectations for these conversations, who will be a part of them, who will answer. Um, and some of them, you know, not everything has to be answered, of course. So that's the best practice that, that we see is where it leads to conversation and where leaders start those conversations or they, or they inject themselves in conversations and questions and themes that have been raised by, by their staff. I'm trying to connect, I suppose, what you were saying before about scale and, and what you're just saying now. And I'm, I feel like there's almost a, a legacy attitude that certain conversations should be had behind closed doors and certain conversations are appropriate or certain forms of communication appropriate for the external world. And, and I'm just wondering, 
is do you have a point of view or maybe there's even examples i don't know where leaders have taken what would traditionally be something a message delivered internally for a very specific audience and they've actually taken the view that well i'm going to have much greater scale much greater impact and it could be one of those social issues that you're talking about or talking around vaccines or masks taking one of those issues in a tone that might be appropriate for an internal audience, but delivering it externally to recognise that I'm not just talking to staff here, I'm talking to stakeholders. Have you got any examples of that? Well, I, I recall, I actually, I'm, I'm, I think actually, I'm going to mention a statistic, but actually I think you are the source of that. So forgive, forgive me if I'm wrong. I think you're the source of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, blame, no, blame me if I'm I think it's yeah. something like 86%. Are expecting leaders to take a position on important societal issues. Um, now, whether they take that position, um, oh, and I think it was a, a slightly smaller percentage, maybe it was seventy-five or something in the high seventies, were expecting the leaders to take that position on social media. Uh, and I think in this case, when it comes to societal issues, um, it is it is to both. Uh, I guess, educate your stakeholders and the external world about what your position is because it impacts your brand. But it's also to convey your position for all of all of your staff about how important an issue is. And, you know, those staff are also stakeholders. So um, uh, I, I saw recently, for instance, that there was um, uh, this is there's a, an Australian health insurance company uh, called Medibank. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, being a, a fellow Aussie. Um, and there's been a lot of conversations about you know, should we uh, sh- should we return to work? You know, should we have a hybrid work? Should and there's some organisations that are advocating for why should we all come back to the office? Medibank's CEO put out a, 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 a blog post saying it might be okay for some organisations to return to, to to the office, but not for us. And it also was posted on LinkedIn. And I think it was that, of course, also a message to staff about how important we feel it is that we're not going to force you into the office. But also, I think they can see that that's a very important message to get now that we are, definitely we are in a time where there's a labor shortage. So by putting that out there, Medibank is also saying to potential future employees, you should come and join us because unlike others you might have considered joining, we are not going to force you to come to the office. Actually, if you join our company, we're going to offer leadership, development, training opportunities to everyone wherever they are and not just to those that are within commuting distance of one of our major, you know, major centers. And I think that is incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful and it raises a maybe a you know, somewhat provocative question around this topic that we're talking about today, which as you say, is provocative in and of itself anyway. But this idea of internal and external, we've almost drawn this arbitrary line between them. What you're talking about there, it's it's almost taking a stakeholder view. It's not that something is an internal message or something is an external message. Even an internal message can resonate, as you say, something for staff with prospective candidates. So, which which talks to structure, which I'd love to go to around how organisations are structured today and, and are they set up for success around internal and external social and external comms. But it's this idea that 
we're really talking to stakeholders today, key audiences, and these bleed across internal and external in a way that we haven't had to deal with before. That wonderful example you gave earlier of the, the CEO, the MD, sorry, who um, who was less visible <laughs> when uh, suddenly work returned to normal. It's that kind of thinking. It's those kind of examples and analogies that bring this to life. So do you feel, Kai, that are organisations today structured in terms of that traditional internal and external divide? Are they structured to set their leaders up for success in this digital comms world? Or what have you seen that works best as a structure? So I guess sometimes it's, 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 it's also interesting to talk about the things that certainly don't work, right? And from an internal perspective, I guess you can probably say this is the same for both internal and external. If you have someone that sets up your LinkedIn or your Twitter or your Instagram and the, the technology department, the IT department sets it up and say, well, there you go, and then they walk away. Uh, and, and we oftentimes see this for internal communication platforms. Well, IT enable it, and then staff can figure out how, you, how they use it themselves. There's no, no one from internal comms or any of the comms advisors are really across it. There's, there's never been a strategy for how it's going to be used. And, you know, and, you can, and the result is exactly like that there's the, it's very very um yeah it's it yeah it's, the, the results are extremely mixed it doesn't work <laughs> no <laughs> so then then i guess then there's kind of a like we could say like, like maturity level right then at some point someone is going to wake up and say "Ooh, there's there's kind of this thing here called workplace yammer whatever and 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 uh Oh, and these people seems to be either either they actually are using it, and they go, "Well, there's a channel there. We have an audience. We should we should really utilize that." Um, and then the internal comms function are going like, "Oh, we should probably have a stake in that. Actually, it should be integrated with our intranet, and we need to take an active role in in, in, in not just managing it, in measuring it, and getting value from it." Then there's some what's good even higher, and and they say, "Oh." There's not much difference between this, like that's that's what that's our internal audience, but some of these key messages should be reflected in our external communication as well. And for some organizations, there's you know, corporate affairs has this, you know, dual ownership of the internal and external channels are able to guide uh, particularly the most senior leaders if they have um, and some of the the, the, the biggest of, of, of companies, you know, they have people that are whose job it is to help the senior leadership team maintain their presence externally uh, as well as internally because we start to get up to a stage where there's so much traffic happening uh, you being you individually being mentioned or your company being mentioned either externally or internally that it is physically impossible for a single person to be across all of this you simply need to have a team that can point you could guide you and say this is something you should react to uh, or at least hear something, do you want to react to it or not? Uh, the words should probably, it's, um, my, my experience uh, having talked to lots of organizations and employees is that particularly the internal audience that knows the, you know, know of the senior leaders, it, it takes like whatever, you know, five or six words and they can detect whether it was written by that person or it was written by corporate communications. So if you want authentic and transparent leadership, um, outsourcing or ghostwriting you know, is, is probably not the thing you want to go for. It, it may be for an external audience, you need to be polished. Again, Roger, you're the, more the expert on external. Um, uh, I, I, I won't comment on that, but I know from an internal perspective, the more authentic 
even if it has bad grammar, even if it has got typos, it is better. It comes from uh, the fingers of the person, you know, the senior person, than it has been. It has been sort of, you know, been doctored by by someone else. I hundred percent agree. External or internal or any form of communications, it's so easy to tell. And I think the difference in the digital world, of course, is that. We, we leave those digital footprints, those digital fingerprints. We leave this history of all mm. our little interactions. And so it's very easy to see when something comes across as a, a four-paragraph, almost wordsmithed beyond a degree of its life, this kind yes. of piece that's so polished, as you were saying at the start, that's very different to then yes. a response on the fly. And, and I think, you, you know, you look at examples like um, ANZ Shane Elliott and you can literally see where he's responded to someone in, I imagine, a scenario where he's running from the, the cab back to the office. And as you said, there's spelling issues, there's grammar issues, there's extra spaces, double exclamation marks, the sort of things that, that make the communications people turn over in their graves. It's that sort of <laughs> stuff, but it's authentic. It's authentic. And that's the point. And I think there's something here that we're sort of coming to now, which is probably uh, it's almost uh, what is the what is the what is the, what is the digital body language? There was actually a book that came out recently that's called Digital Body Language that I've only just I'm reading it at the moment, but I I, I just like the heading uh, of it. And if you look at uh, we all know, and everyone has gone to you know, uh, to courses about how you can project your voice. Uh, the importance of pauses, you know, and if you build excitement, you you raise your voice, and then you, if you want to make a salient point, you pause for effect, you know, those sort of things. Yeah, and most most people have gone through those courses, but now I'm sitting here in a relatively new medium, which might be Yammer or workplace or digital platform, and this little text box in front of me, and I go, well, I have no ability. Where, where's the body language in that? But there's tons of body language. There are emojis. Uh, even uh, this subtle act of clicking like uh, sends a signal in the digital world that I am listening. And the only way that your staff, so and I, this will apply again to the external, whether it's internal or external audience here, the only way people can find out if you're listening on these platforms is if you hit the like button or if you reply. If you read it, no one will really know. And you might as well, I'm not saying you shouldn't read it, you should, but if you want people to know that they that you have listened, you have to click the like and the reply button. And if you want to be seen as someone who's not just telling, but you are talking, talking means we're having a conversation like the one that you and I are having today. It couldn't be a podcast if, you, it's not really a podcast, is it? If it's just one person talking the whole time, <laughs> and I don't think it's very inspiring. You have to be an absolutely fantastic, um, uh, you know, presenter with with outstanding content to to keep an, a crowd entertained, you know, for, for for a long time. So that digital body language is something again. The the corporate uh, communications advisors need to teach our senior leaders. Actually, need to teach staff. They need to teach them the importance of having a conversation online so we don't see these posts that are what you would find on, you know, on, on Facebook. You know, here's a picture of, of a restaurant I went to or you know, a picture with some friends at a, at a whatever, out sailing or whatever you do on weekends. Um, because if you just do that, the only thing you're asking your audience to do, the best thing you can do is actually hit the like button, which doesn't start a conversation. Actually, the like button... 
uh, it's more like a conversation killer. I know it sounds provocative, but what, where do you go if I say, hey, Raj, fantastic, I love your podcast, and you click like to that, where does the conversation go? It stops. But if you've replied to me and say, Kai, I'm so glad you liked the podcast, which one was your favorite episode? Suddenly, you can see now, I can come back and suddenly we can have a, have a conversation with each other. And that is digital body language. It is the, the use of smileys to, and, and if you're seeing a video, you might go, smileys, oh, that's for my teenage daughters and sons. It's not for me. But if you, if you want to get your personality into this, you have to use these new ways of communicating, which does include smileys, which is not uh, insincere or for fun. It is if you, if you want to communicate at scale digitally, that is the way that we express ourselves. And as I said, it happens through emojis, it happens through replying or the reactions, and it happens through the way that you reply. And I think those are critical skills for our senior leaders, uh, both in the internal world, but certainly also in the external world, to, uh, to, the, to an extent to which it suits your, matches your personality, of course. And I think I'd add to that from the external world is the algorithm adding that in as a factor is, yes, the digital body language and then knowing what message does this send to people reading and how is this being received by the algorithms to reach those people effectively is, a, is an extra thing to throw in the mix there. Kyle, I'm keen to also, I suppose, just quickly pick into that a little bit around you touched on employee recognition and showing people that you're there. One of the interesting trends we've seen emerging through the pandemic, as you were saying earlier, is this idea that, internal recognition is now becoming external for some leaders who feel particularly comfortable in that space. What's your view on that in terms of the opportunities for larger organisations, as you say, who tend to sit or straddle across both internal and external? Should they be looking at employee recognition uh, and engagement as a uh, as a, almost a hybrid of internal and external every time? Or do you think there's still appropriate times for both of those domains? Well, so given, given that we're in this hybrid world now, given that if I had, let's say, 1% chance of meeting uh, my senior leaders in, the, in head office, if I even was working in head office, that percentage have dropped to, I don't know, less than half of what it was before. So uh, if, if you as a senior leader want to establish a connection between you and your staff, uh, so I will go out. Uh, and when I'm at a dinner party or I'm at a barbecue, I'm with friends and, and they say, well, what do you think about, you know, your company? They say, oh, it's fantastic, you know, and I, I truly believe in where our leadership are heading and I'm, I'm, fe- I'm fe- you know, like if you have no idea who you're working for, um, it becomes hard. You can say, well, I love I've loved the company and my, my boss is good. And don't get me wrong, you know, if your bo- boss is not good, that's probably going to be even worse than the CEO being being good, right? Because you are incredibly impacted by what your nearest sort of commanding officer, um, being uh, uh, female or male, what how they like to work with. So uh, that's probably even more important, you know. But it, it, that connection with the company and connection with leadership uh, and your, pers- your and your perception of what they are like, because the reality is most people will never get to really know them, like really be friends or actually spend time with them. There's just not enough time. Uh, in the day to spend time with everyone, so you have to you have to get other people to think that they get a sense of who you are and inspire them 
and take them on the journey with you. And you definitely have to do that in, internally and externally in this war for talent that we have on the place, uh, have going on in the moment. Uh, yesterday, I, get, I was at, at this conference in, in Melbourne and there was a, a woman at the front row um, who asked, who said, we have people that are applying for jobs and they are clearly saying that they don't want to come to the office. Can we force them in? <laughs> Isn't it appropriate, given that it's our company, you know, that we can force them in? And, and the answer was sort of, well, you know, mm, 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 probably not. <laughs> because it is, it, it, you know, it, it, when there's a war for talent, it's pretty hard uh, to put, they'll just go elsewhere. So uh, you, 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 you have to, as senior leaders, being able to show who you are at scale and show the company what it represents, what you represent to make it an attractive place to work. And if you do that with your own staff, they become brand ambassadors. They become champions for what it's like to work there. And that's certainly... Uh, you certainly do. You don't want the opposite, right? You don't want them to be detractors of your brand and say, "Well, it's something like my boss, but the company's you know like, oh, you know, I, I I've had this special deal with my boss that I can work from home, but you know, the boss is saying out on social media that we should all have to return to the office, and so you get this discrepancy, the disconnect between what leadership is saying and then maybe the deal that you've been able to negotiate yourself. It's. It's almost like we started this conversation, or I, I certainly did. I imagine people listening started this conversation thinking this was an issue around time and capacity. Where should I invest my time and effort if it's finite? And I think where you've landed there, which is a really nice place to tie things up, is this digital opportunity isn't a time suck. It's actually a way to scale your leader's efforts. And I think when people recognize that, they'll harness this opportunity or grab it with both hands. And I think that's a really important message to leave people with. Now, Kai, there's a lot in what you've covered today, which is really wonderful and I appreciate your time and insights. If you were to try and summarise your top tips or your advice for comms advisors and leaders around this particular topic, you know, how could you do that? What's the best way to, to help people make a start in, in getting this balance between internal and external right? So... Um there's nothing like a little bit of you know of of, uh, of quiz self help if you like uh, that's good um, and uh, there is a um, I mean we we cover the external quite well but but Propel covers the external much better than what we do so the question is how do we bring the two together uh, and uh, we did together uh, a, a digital brand audit. Um, that I think it would be, it's got about 10 questions or so that helps you understand how strong, how weak you are against a bunch of different, uh, a bunch of different elements. Um, and it, I think it really ties very nicely together, this whole thing about internal and external. But do you have to do it? Yes. And you, you have to do it because the world is now digital. Because we are in a world of hybrid, of remote work, because people aren't in the offices. So where you had to do digital before, because that's where your audience was, that is what's happening with your internal audience as well. The moment you are more than 150 people or so, uh, that's the Dunbar rule of 150. I think that's the maximum number of people you can have a meaningful social relationship with. Once you grow out of that, and even smaller if you are multi, uh, multi-site, you can't do this face-to-face. You, know? you can't rely on, on having meetings and having a... a you know, a, a Microsoft Teams call because then everyone has to log in at the same time. You know, if you're global, 
if you're a hybrid work where people are working different different schedules, you have to be digital. So it's not a question of time. It, it, it is a question, I think, of uh, well, saying survival is probably maybe taking it too far, you know, but it, it's right up there and say, well, it's, it's, it, it's up there along with critical things you have to master. It's, it's success, it's relevance, and it's reputation. Yes. And, and you have to be digital, Kai. So if people have questions or encouragements off the back of today's episode, where can they find you? What's the best way to reach you? Uh, so www.scoopanalytics.com. Um, you can also find uh, me on, on LinkedIn, and I think in the show notes I'll be putting links to uh, both the, the digital brand audit and to our website, and, and I'm happy to, to have uh, conversations as well. Uh, we do big benchmarking reports that are freely available that you can get from our, from our website as well. And if you're ever looking for examples of what good looks like, want to be inspired by what other companies have done, our, our website, uh, because of this global benchmark we're doing, has got heaps of organizations and they're, they're not all not all of them are customers of ours that's not what i'm saying you know it's not like a it's not a promotion of, of swoop but it's it's highlighting companies that have done remarkably well and i certainly encourage people to have a look at that and, and i would second that encouragement your website is a treasure trove of good resources articles statistics everything so absolutely and i think also kai just to finish i'd encourage everyone based on the the call to arms that you gave earlier I challenge them even, everyone listening, to write a LinkedIn post with a smiley face and please tag Kai in it to know that you're sharing that little bit of sunshine on social And ask media. a question, right? Think about the conversation. Be Always curious. Think about how, be curious. And how do we generate conversation from this? Not all the time, but for this post you're talking about, please do. Actually, one idea, do two posts, Roger. Do one traditional broadcasting and then deliberately do one where you tag people, use an emoji and ask a question and see the impact uh, with your own eyes. The evidence will speak for itself. Kai, thank you so much for sharing your time and insights with your digital reputation. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.